We're so glad you're here today, and uh, we're continuing in our new series, Keep Calm and Get Along. We always say here at Cross Church that the most important thing in life are our relationships. And I think a lot of people maybe know it here, but they don't know it here. And we know it, we know that they don't understand it because the evidence of their life proves it. They don't understand how important it is to work on the relationships of everybody in their life. My prayer is that through this series, Keep Calm and Get Along, that people will actually begin to understand and begin to implement the principles of Scripture that help you have a better marriage and have a better life. And by the way, it's not just about your married life that we're concerned about. We're concerned about all the relationships that you have, whether it's at work or uh, with your kids, with your neighbors, with your friends, etc., etc. You know, I said it last week that we spend probably 12 years, 12, 13 years in school, and then another uh, maybe three to 10 years preparing for our career. But we spend very little time training people on how to have great relationships, which is shocking considering that relationships are the most important thing in your life. It's for this reason that we teach here at Cross Church that you need to go to church. You need to get to church as often as possible. We call it habit number two, going to church every week. It's a place where you learn how to get along. It's a place where we train you how to be a better husband, a better wife, a better son, daughter, a parent, whatever. This is what this is all about. It's coming and learning how to get along. Now, a few weeks back, uh, we did a series called Miracles. How many remember the series Miracle? And one of the, one of the thank you, one of the, uh, the, the messages could very well have been the miracle of marriage. It's a miracle that two people can come together, be married, and last. Unbelievable. Um, if you think of the differences that, that two people have in their lives, Two people coming together, different upbringing, maybe different religious background. If you have married cross-culturally, that now has, has exponentially uh, increased the number of difficulties. Uh, if you come from a different socioeconomic level, if you've come from a family that's rela- a relaxed family versus maybe a family that's not relaxed, now you've got to somehow try to reconcile that. Um, you've got the, the, you know, the problem of personality differences. You know, someone in the marriage may be dominant, the other one may be passive. And by the way, uh, you know, we often think of somebody who's dominant or domineering as the more aggressive one. But the fact of the matter is, is that you can be a passive personality or a dominant personality and still be very aggressive. And so you've got, you've got that that you've got to deal with. So uh, and, and in some cases, you've got two dominant people or two uh, passive people. And each, each combination has its own struggles or its... Uh, own challenges. And then on top of all that, uh, each of us has its own weaknesses. We have our own uh, personal uh, problems, and most of the times we don't know anything about it. That's why at our church what we try to do is we try to get all couples to go through some kind of a personality test, not only so that they can understand each other, but so that they can understand themselves. And you've got, I mean, everybody here has got selfish tendencies, so you bring that to the marriage mix, Um, On top of that, you've got certain fears going into marriage. You've got certain expectations going into marriage. And on top of all of that, you've got your own brokenness, your own past with with your problems, your abuse issues, etc., and your own baggage. So you take all of that and expect two people to make it in marriage. 
uh, it really is truly a miracle. Wouldn't you agree with that? How on earth two people could come together and last is indeed a miracle. So this is why in our church, if you are going to get married, what you have to do is you have to go through a counseling process so that we can help you get on the right track and give you the principles that you will need to stay on track. Now, the good news is this, folks. The, the gospel is this, is that when we follow the principles or the teachings of Jesus Christ, we discover the principles that we need to get along with one another. We discover these principles that help us survive. The principles that help us beat the odds. And I can tell you this, I believe that every single marriage can survive, and I believe that every single marriage can thrive. If Jesus Christ and his principles and his attitude, which we talked about last week, the attitude of Christ is an attitude of what? Of humility or meekness. And I said this, don't don't confuse meekness with weakness. Jesus Christ gives us the principles. He gives us and teaches us the attitude that we need to have in order to have a great marriage. So I want to share with you today the secrets of a phenomenal marriage. And let me just give you a hint before I go any further that it really depends on you. Because some of you are thinking, oh, good, I'm so glad my husband's here to hear this. So now he'll finally be able to do what I need him to do so that we can have a good marriage. Or maybe you're thinking about your wife. I'm so glad she's here. Now finally she'll understand what I'm talking about. But here's what you need to do is you need to focus on yourself and what you need to do. You need to focus on the changes that need to happen in your life. Because here's what I've discovered over many, many years of being a Christian, being a pastor, is that almost everybody is very, very deluded about themselves. They really, you really, really don't know yourself. You really don't know what you're like. And I know some of you are protesting your mind. No, that's not true, Pastor Allen. I know myself. And my, my response to that would be, I doubt it. So here's what we need to do. We need to look into the Word of God because the Word of God is what teaches us. It's what instructs us. It shows us what we need to know about ourselves, and it shows us what we need to do in order to change. So I want to talk to you then about a great marriage. Let me read to you a passage of Scripture, and it's a, it's a famous passage of Scripture in the Bible, and if you want, you can look it up later. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, and it's verses 21 to uh, 33. And I, once again, forgot to bring my glasses, so bear with me as I try to stretch my arm out. Do you mind holding that, Vicky? <laughs> okay, here goes. Verse 21. And Paul says this to the, to the believers in Ephesus, and he's speaking specifically to husbands and wives. He says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives... And he's now going to explain what he means by this. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his, uh, head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As a church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now some of you husbands are sitting there thinking, <laughs> She's her. now she knows what she has to do. I'm so glad I brought my wife to church today. Now she knows she's got to submit to me. Well, guys, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Listen to this. Actually, what I've got to say to the guys is far more difficult than what the wives just heard. It's just for husbands. When I'm talking about submission, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. 
What did, how did Christ love us? How did he show his great love for us? He died for us. Husbands, are you ready to die for your wives? Uh, and you'll, we'll define that in just a moment. But he goes on to say this. Christ gave up his life for this church to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to follow their, uh, love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Now, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united as one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I apologize for not having my glasses. I did it in the first service, too. Anyway, you'll forgive me? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, so we're going to talk now about the secret to a great marriage, and it can be summed up in one word, and it's the word submit. Let's talk about that. If you, are, if you think you've got a great marriage right now, then I can show you how to make it even better. If you're here this morning and you're struggling in your marriage, and in fact you're wondering, I don't know how it's going to last, I can show you how to make it work. You know, when you and I got married, what we did is we said vows to one another. Do you remember that? We stood before the minister, we stood before our family and our friends, we faced each other, and we began to make these vows. And we said, basically, I'm going to be committed to you. We declared our commitment to one another. Now, in spite of all these elaborate vows, and I, you know, I get young people say to me, you know, when they want to get married, Pastor, can I do my own vows? At one time, I would have said, sure, no problem, go ahead. But nowadays, I don't do that so readily. I say, well, I don't mind if you prepare some vows, but you're going to have to put them by me first. And in some cases, I'll say, well, I'm going to, you know, use that, but you're going to have to also use some of my vows as well. And I'll tell you why. The day came uh, where I had somebody, a couple come to me, and they showed me their vows. And, and in the vows, it was this statement, that we will, uh, we will be devoted to, mother, to one another, we'll be committed to one another, Look, listen to this, as long as we both shall love. Did you get that? Okay, does everybody understand what love is? For many people, they think it's a feeling. And the minute that the feeling goes, the minute I don't feel like I love you anymore, therefore, the marriage must be over. And nothing can be further from the truth. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian or whatever, it doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, is that all of us understand that it doesn't make sense. Especially when you consider that, and you all know this, love is a verb. It's something that you do. And hopefully, loving feelings will follow what you do, but initially, love is something that you do. And so you make these commitments to one another. Now, but, but, but here's the problem now. In spite of all these commitments that people make to each other, Statistics Canada says that a full 40% of marriages will end in divorce. 
And actually, that may sound depressing to you, but to me that's encouraging because it wasn't that long ago when it was actually a full 50%. Every other marriage would end in divorce. It doesn't last in spite of all these, these commitments. So obviously we recognize that making a commitment to one another is simply not enough. So Paul tells us what we can actually do in order to make our marriage work. And here's what he says in Ephesians 5.21. He says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now notice that the Apostle Paul does not say commit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says what? He says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what has to happen when you get married is you've got to move from a commitment to the place where you are actually submitting. From commit to submit. Very, very different. We have, uh, we have people getting married here all the time. And one of the things that we, we do in, is we prepare them by giving them marriage counseling. And what we do is we teach these young people who are prepared to get married, we teach them what it means to submit to one another. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting listening to, the, to people's ideas about what that means. For many men, if you're, you know, like 40 or over, you grew up with the idea, or maybe you've heard the term, you know, wives have to submit to their husbands, and, and the man is the, is the head of the house. How many have heard that? You grew up, man is the head of the house. And, and, and by that... You understood that as a man being the head of the house, that means he's the dictator, right? He's the, he's the boss. He tells everybody what to do and everybody has to do what he says. And if, you know, and, and, and the more he bosses, the more he expects his wife to submit. Well, I'm going to tell you that is absolutely 100% not biblical. And wives, some wives are going, phew. I'm so glad he's here to hear that today. What are we talking about when we talk about submitting to one another? Guys, here's what you need to know about yourself. As the, as, as the head of your house, that does not mean you're the, 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 the dictator in your house. It doesn't mean you're the boss of the house. It means you're the one who's responsible in your house. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So guys, I've just given you a promotion. If you're going to be like Jesus, here's what you've got to do. You've got to be the chief servant in your house. And I know some of you guys are saying, that's it, I'm out of here. <laughs> you're the chief servant in your house. Your job is to make sure that your wife is properly cared for, make sure your children are properly taken care of. And really, if you're a Christian, it means you're making sure that everybody's properly taken care of. You're putting yourself last. That's what we're talking about here. That's the kind of submission that we're talking about. And I believe that the biblical idea of submitting to each other actually should be explicit in all wedding vows. And it used to be, in fact, but not anymore. Because it offends our modern sensibilities. But here's what we've discovered, is that our modern sensibilities also accompany a modern philosophy that doesn't work. Marriages are not holding together. People are not happy. People are not fulfilled. And therefore, we write vows like this. I will be committed to you as long as I love you. So here's what, here's what all of us need to understand. Jesus Christ presents to us a better way of living. If you look at that word submit in the original language, many, it literally means to being underset, being underset. 
And, and we could translate that as being subject to. We need to be subject to one another. It's, it's a voluntary placing of yourself below your spouse. So here's the arguments then that should be happening in your house. Here's the f- kind of fights that you should be having. The kind of fights that you should be having in your household is who gets to serve whom? It's my turn to make supper. No, it's my turn to make supper. It's my turn to, to wash the, the clothes. It's my turn to wash the dishes. No, it's my turn. See, see what I'm saying here? Rather than expecting the other one to serve you, you're making a decision to serve your spouse. What's it like at your place? What kind of fights do you have? I remember uh, a couple that we were good friends with. They're missionaries in Greece. And Gloria and I are just newly married. We actually literally got married and then went to Greece. And one of the couples we got to know, they were married for about five years longer than us. And uh, we, were, we marveled that this couple, uh, their, their biggest fights were over who has to wash the dishes and who has to put the kids to bed and who has, whose turn is it to take out the garbage. And they, this, is, this is what their fights were about. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that thou, they had actually had charts on the walls. On, the, on Monday, I mean, I'm not kidding you. You know, you, you give your kids a star for brushing their teeth. These are two grown adults with children now who've got charts on the wall to decide who does what. And I'm and watching it closely and saying, it's not my turn. It's not my turn. It's not my turn. I'm going to tell you, if your marriage is going down that road, you're probably not going to last or you're going to have major, major problems along the road. Uh, along the road. What I'm saying to you today is, is there's a, a brand new standard It's the standard of Jesus Christ, whereby you and I make up our minds to submit to one another, to serve each other. So what are your fights about? You know, when Gloria and I got married, we both put an engraving in our wedding band. Now, this is not my original wedding band. This is one that Gloria gave me recently. But in my original wedding band, she has a few words that uh, is just between me and her. But in her wedding band, I'll share it with you, I put a little triangle in there. And that triangle represents God at the top and Gloria and me. And here's what I said to Gloria. This is what I mean by this triangle in your wedding ring. Is that as you and I move closer to God, the closer we will get to each other. That's where intimacy comes from. Now look at this, folks. Suddenly, my, my desire to serve my wife and, and Gloria's desire to serve me is based, look at this, is based not just on the command to submit to one another, but it's based on this reverence for Jesus Christ. You've got to bring Jesus Christ into your marriage and understand that as you serve one another, what you're actually doing is you're serving Jesus Christ. Because here's what I know about your spouse. And if if I'm right, just wink at me and nod. Here's what I know about your spouse. Your spouse does not deserve necessarily, does not deserve you being his servant or her servant. Am I right? Some are thinking, well, maybe, I I don't know. Well, maybe you say, well, sometimes he deserves it, or sometimes she deserves it, or sometimes she really does not deserve it. Now, look at this. If you understand that you are serving Jesus Christ as you serve your wife or serve your husband, it's a game changer. Because now it's not about whether he or she deserves it 
or whether or not you feel like being nice to her. Because let's face it, folks, sometimes we get ticked off at our spouse. Am I right? There's no honest people here today. Yeah, okay, good, 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 good. Sometimes you get, you get ticked off at her. Sometimes you get ticked off at him. But look at just because you're ticked off doesn't mean now that you have the right not to care about him or not to serve him or her. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He knows it's impossible for us to submit to each other. It's impossible for us to serve each other unless God is brought into the picture. And in this case, we're serving Jesus Christ. I can tell you this, for 25 years, Gloria and I have attempted to live our married life like that. Have, is, have we got a perfect record? No, but we've got a really good record. And I can tell you this, after 25 years of marriage, I am more in love and more excited about serving my wife than I've ever been in my whole life. It just keeps getting better. Now, she, her, her commitment is exactly the same. She wants to serve me, and I want to serve her. In fact, really, that now is becoming what our arguments are about. Whose turn is it to serve? Now, it sounds corny, I know, and ridiculous, and you're thinking, oh, brother. But it works. It's real. We have, we have literally tried to live our lives like that. When I serve Gloria, I do it as unto the Lord in reverence for Christ. Now, I'm telling you that we need to submit to each other and that that is the secret to a great marriage. But you say, Pastor Allen, okay, I, I, I get what you're saying, but how, how does that look? How, how do we actually live that out? What does that look like in my, my day-to-day life? Well, Again, the Apostle Paul tells us how to submit to each other. He tells us how to have a happy marriage. And we find that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, at the end of that passage I read to you. Let's look at it. Paul says, so again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Did you notice that the Apostle Paul is dealing with the man first? Did you see that? Here's the thing. If your marriage is breaking down or you've got problems, men, listen to me, this is what it means to be the head of your house. It means that you are the first one to say, I'm sorry. You're the first one to say, forgive me. You're the first one to make the move to make the marriage better. Get it? Get it? This says the guy who's not married yet. Thanks, John. Your job, gentlemen, is to be the one that, takes, that makes the first move in, in fixing your marriage if you're, if you're struggling or having problems. You make the first move. Now, here's the default position. Men must love his, a man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So here's, this is actually the default setting, or the reset button, if you will. I would say this to you. Get this scripture verse... Print it off and put it up on your wall. I told you to do that with the verse last week. Well, here's another one to put on your wall. And every time you have a fight, I want, I want the husbands to take your wife by the hand or vice versa, a wife take your husband by the hand and take them to the fridge where this verse is and read it together. This is the reset button. This is the default position of your marriage where men are reminded of what they must do and the wives are reminded of what they must do and the wife must respect her husband. That's your default position. Now, how many understand today that men and women are very different? If you, you're not sure, like, <laughs> we have family life class right here and right now. 
Men and women are very different. And by the way, not just physiologically. Understand that. We are different. We have different ways of processing information. And, I mean, there's all kinds of long studies you know, in, that you can, you can go and, and, and look that up yourself. But we're different. We're very, very different. And the French say, vive la différence, right? Did I get that right, Jose? Pretty close. My French accent, maybe not. Vive la différence. What, what does that mean? Long live the difference. And I say a hearty amen to that. I can't imagine being living, having to live with me. Couldn't imagine that. I thank God for my wife. Men and women are different. And guess what? Because they're different, it means they have different needs. And the Apostle Paul understands that. And in this scripture verse that you've got up on the, on the screen here, he gives us a hint as to the differences between men and women and what it is that a woman needs and what it is that a man needs. And so here's the thing for husbands. Here's what you need to understand about your wife. Paul says, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. What's the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying, your sense of self-preservation, your instincts to care for yourself, and I'm going to tell you, nobody knows how to take care of anybody like a person knows how to take care of himself. Isn't that right? You know how to put yourself first. You know how to take care of your needs. You know how to provide for yourself. You know how to protect yourself. Well, the Apostle Paul is saying now, all those instincts and that sense of self-preservation that you have for yourself, now Paul says what you need to do is you need to transfer that to your wife. You need to make sure that she is taken care of. You need to make sure that her needs are met. We, what we, a way to describe that is like this. You need to cherish her. You need to cherish your wife. Gentlemen, say it with me. I need to cherish her. Say it. I need... Guys, your wives are going to hit you in a minute if you don't say it. <laughs> I need to cherish her. Say it. Says the guy with no wife. <laughs> okay, John, I want you in every service. This is great. Okay, Listen. Gentlemen, you have to understand this because this is what your wife's basic need is. She needs you to cherish her. She needs to feel cherished. She needs to feel protected. She needs to know that you are caring for her, that you are, are, are meeting her needs. Guys, listen to I'm gonna, this. Is a, this is so huge. If your wife right now is angry at you, if she is ticked at you, if she is bitter, she's holding a grudge, she's trying to get even with you, this is your secret weapon. Make her feel cherished, and it'll break her down, melt her right down. She will be open to whatever you have to say. Oh, it may not happen immediately, but over time, it's going to change. Are you willing, are you prepared to cherish your wife, to love her the way that Christ loved the church? Does she have the sense that you are, that she is the most important person in your life? Because that's the, that's always the complaint that almost every woman has that comes for counseling. I feel like I'm secondary. I feel like I'm number two or number three or number four on the list. I don't feel like I'm the most important person in his life. If your wife does not feel like she's number one in your life, then you're going to have big, big problems, pal. You're going to have a hard, hard time. Paul says, here's the hint. Do for your wife what Jesus did for the church, and that is he laid down his life. Now, what about the women? 
This morning I had one of the women, as I was talking about that, saying, Amen, preach it, brother, preach it. <laughs> and then I said, okay, now it's your turn <laughs> for the wives. Here's what, here's what Paul says. He says, and the wife must respect her husband. What do we mean by that? Well, very simply, it's this. A woman must admire her husband, must praise him, must tell him what a wonderful guy he is. I don't know, I think I've told you this before, but in case you've forgotten, I want you to know that I am the best-looking man in Canada and possibly the world. That's what my wife tells me all the time. She's been reminding me that for 25 years. I, I actually, I think I should get a medal after 25 years. And, and not just the best-looking guy, I'm the smartest guy in this room, and perhaps in Canada. Now, I'm, I'm exaggerating a, a tad, just a tad. <laughs> My wife praises me. She admires me. She respects me. And look at, look at this. Every time I get it right, she tells me I'm getting it right. But here's what happens with so many women. See, they, they, over time, they get frustrated with their husband. They get frustrated with his mistakes and his weaknesses. And here's what they begin to do. Guys, do you know? Don't say it if your wife's sitting beside you. You begin to nag. You know what I'm talking about? You begin to nag him, and you begin to tell him, he's a jerk, you let it slip, and then you, next thing you know, you, you're telling him he's a loser, and you start telling him that he'll never amount to anything, and next thing you know, you're so angry at him, you just keep putting him down and putting him down and putting him down. And next thing you know, he's actually living up to exactly what you're saying. And now you're, you've turned your husband into your eldest child. Right? Now he's just one of the kids, and he's a super aggravation to you. Because whereas you've you got a bit of control over your kids, you can't control your husband so well. And you're fed up with picking up after him. You're fed up with, with having to fix his problems. You're fed up and you're fed up and you just keep telling him that. And so here's the thing. This happens all the time. Because husbands refuse to cherish their wives and to truly protect them and love them and help them, they're killing their marriage. And because women refuse to admire and praise and respect their husband, you're killing your marriage. If you don't have romance in your life right now, well, maybe it's because, guys, you've allowed your wife to become your second mother. Yeah, she's got she's to tell you what to do, tell you what to wear, tell you, she's got to make your lunch for you, got to pick up your underwear off the floor and your socks, put your tools away, and on and on it goes. And she's like, there's no romance here. I'm, I feel dead inside. I feel no romance. I feel no connection to my husband. I don't feel any sort of... Amore. Is that right, Jose? Amore. I feel no love. You want to get your love back into your marriage? You want to get the romance back into your marriage? If you, guys, listen to me. If you want to start experiencing some intimacy, you know what I'm talking about? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If you want to start experiencing that in your life, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to start taking leadership in your home by, by cherishing your wife, by serving her, by taking care of her, meeting her needs. And women... If you want to keep your guy doing just that, then tell him every time he gets it right. And bite your tongue every time he gets it wrong. You say, Pastor, if I do that, I'll bite my tongue off. 
do it. Bite it off. Now, here's a mistake. By the way, can I just say this to you? In 25 years of marriage, my wife has never had to pick up to me, after me even once. The reason I'm telling you that is because my mom was here in the first service, and she came up to me, and she said, I'm so proud of you, son. Just thought you might be. Okay. Uh, so here's, here's, the, here's what you need to understand. The mistake that we all make. And this, is, this goes for all of us. We interpret, we interpret people's words. We interpret people's actions. We interpret their body language through our own filter. You know what I'm talking about. We, we start making assumptions. For, let me give you a for instance. When, when I first got married... Gloria would, you know, she'd be feeling maybe down a little bit, and she'd say, it's just, you know, we're getting ready to go to sleep at night, and this is always when it happens. Uh, Gloria will start telling me about something that's bothering her, upsetting her, whatever. And it's not necessarily me, but just something that's bothering her. My instant reaction is I want to... Yeah, that's right. I want to fix it. I want to make it right. And so rather than her just telling me about it or letting her tell me about it, i got to try to figure out a way to fix it. Now, what I've done now is I've made an assumption that I've got to fix Gloria's problem. I have heard, help me fix my problem. But as she's speaking, what she's hearing herself say is, I just need to pour my heart to you, Alan. Now, look at this. We have two different understandings of what's going on here. I've made an assumption, and actually she's made an assumption too. This is what we all do. This is, this is how fights begin. We, we don't understand each other. Now, I can, I'm happy to tell you that after 25 years of marriage, I finally, and it's taken me a long, long time to understand this. If Gloria is pouring out her heart to me about something, it just needs, means that she needs me to be her girlfriend. You see what I'm talking? You, know, you, you, you get that, right, guys? Just, she, he, she just needs to talk and pour out her heart, and everything's going to be okay. And I don't have to even fix it. I just have to listen. But here's what happens, and I call this the war cycle. Are you going through a war right now in your marriage, your family, or with anybody going through a war? Here's what happens. You make an assumption. You've, you've heard something, you've seen something, you believe something, and now you've made an assumption about that other person. And you haven't asked for clarification. You haven't asked questions to discover what the real issue is. You've just made an assumption. And now you've got what we call a misunderstanding on our hands. The misunderstanding takes root in our minds, and then what happens is that we entrench in that position and we refuse then to admit that we're wrong, right? Because I heard it with my own, with my own ears. I saw it with my own eyes. Can I just remind everybody of something? And you've heard me say this before. A person's perception is the reality. Regardless of what you think the truth is, if that's what they think, that's their truth. So somewhere between your truth and my truth, we've got to figure out what is the real truth. And then what happens after you've entrenched in your position is that you start, you, you, you've now stopped looking for the truth and you start looking for ways to prove that you're right. Now, I'm going to just tell you something right now. If being right is the most important thing for you, you will never have a marriage. You will never have friends. You will never have a relationship with your children. Being right if, if, if that's your goal, you will destroy all your relationships. What you need to do, rather, is to find out 
what they're thinking, how they're feeling. Because once you have entrenched and say, I refuse to be proven wrong, I'm going to prove that I'm right. I ref- Look at, I refuse to back down. Because why? Because I don't want to be proven to be weak. Remember I said last week, meekness is not weakness. And we, we confuse that. We think, if I'm proven wrong, that'll show that I'm weak. And if I'm shown that I'm weak, then I have been somehow vanquished. Well, look at folks, if, you're, if, if that's your big, big goal in life, is to be right and to win every argument, you will never, ever, ever, ever have relationships. Never. Therefore, we go back to Christ and the attitude of Christ and ask the Lord Jesus Christ, how do you want me to live my life? And here's what he's saying to you. You need to submit to him, to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. I want to give you a, a marriage challenge this morning as we close. I really want to help you have a great marriage. In fact, at the end of the service, we're handing out cards with just some simple ideas of things that guys can do for their wives and things that wives can do for their husbands. Make sure you get that card before you leave today. But I've got something even better for you today. I think it is anyways. It's what I'm calling the marriage challenge. If you are having a problem with your car, what do you do? You take your car to a mechanic. If You've got aches and pains that you can't understand and it's getting severe. You go to a a doctor, right? And if you're having problems with your golf swing, you go to a, a golf pro, right? And if you're having problems with your career and you're, you're not able to move up the ladder, you probably will go to a career coach. If you've got problems with your, with your, and you want to build muscles and want to lose weight, you probably will want to go to a trainer. What do you do for your marriage? Which is, in fact, the most important thing in your life. And it's a pity that churches don't talk about this more, but I'm going to tell you right now that you want to have a strong marriage. I will say this to you today. If you've got any kind of marriage issues or marriage problems, and maybe they're just small things, minor things, go to see the pastor. Go to see a relationship coach. Do not try to deal with it on your own because you're probably going to end up in trouble. So the marriage challenge is this, and this goes for every single married couple here today. Regardless of whether you think you have problems or not, what you need to do is you need to go to a relationship coach, and that's me. And if you don't want to go to me, then get somebody. But you need to go to a relationship coach, and here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm willing to offer every couple in this church I'm willing to give you some time. I'm willing to take you, to take you in and just do a quick checkup. How many, how many have ever heard of going to take your car in for a tune-up or a checkup? When I go to get my van fixed, they change the oil, and then they do what? They, do, they go through a checklist. Nothing, nothing wrong with the van as far as I know, but they're going to go find any little issues that need to be corrected. That's my job because that's my area of expertise. And I'm saying this, any couple that wants to come and just quickly go through this very fun little checkup. And it's really fun. I'll, I, I, can help you, I, can, I can help you get back on track. I can help you find those little issues that could become a big problem down the line. How many know that? A little issue now becomes a major problem down the line. Uh, we, I can help you get that sorted out before it becomes an issue. Here's the thing, folks. Every wise person goes to see a counselor or a coach. You need to know that. Stupid people do not go to see a coach. Do not get help. How many smart people do we have here today? Yes, thank you. There's a few people. The rest on this side don't seem too smart. This side, very smart. Brilliant. 
okay, look it. I'm saying that I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to take the time to meet with you in the evenings or whenever. I'm willing to give you a time slot where you come and get a checkup. And it's, don't be scared of it. It's fun. It's exciting. You, you'll laugh. You'll have fun. It'll be a great thing. But I'm, I'm, I'm not going to have a sign-up sheet at the back. This is something that you're going to have to do as a couple. Make an appointment with the office. Call the office and say, my name is Joe Blow, and uh, Joe and Sally Blow, and I'm going to, uh, I want to get a marriage, I'm, I'm, it's the marriage challenge that I'm responding to. Can you give me a time slot? And somebody will call you back, give your number, and we'll make sure that you get some time with a pastor. My desire for you, especially the couples, is to help you, uh, especially talking to the couples, I mean, I want to help you have a great marriage. I want you to, I want you to be celebrating your marriage. I just heard on the news that uh, a husband and wife married 73 years. A man got a call from, and actually his parents were actually living in, in separate nursing homes because they both had very challenging, debilitating diseases in their last years. He got, gets a call from the nursing home and says, your father has died. And then literally within a minute, he gets another phone call from the other nursing home saying, your mother's just died. He said in that moment, he says, I could not be, I could not even be upset. All I could do, obviously crying and, and, you know, with the thought of the loss of his parents, but suddenly he just rejoiced, thanking God that his mom and dad went together. Isn't that fantastic? 73 years of married, of wonderful married life. I want that for every one of us today. But if you're going to have a great marriage, you have to work on it. It's not just going to happen. Get it? Say it. Get it? Let's stand together and pray. Father, thank you so much for the principles in the Word of God that teach us how to have a great marriage. And God, this morning we, we discovered that secret word, that secret word that explains it all, we need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. God, today we've been showing the things that men have to do and the things that women have to do. We each have different needs. God, I pray that you'd help every man here today learn what it means to cherish his wife. And I pray that you'd help every wife here today learn what it means to praise and to admire her husband. And we know, God, then we please you, then we honor you, then we fulfill your word, and then we have great marriages. I pray everyone here today will take the marriage challenge. Thank you, God, for your presence here. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, take the marriage challenge.